Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingis serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones. It's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the proper way to create a remarkable experience when making an introduction, the four-step process to hook your customers, and how adding friction early in the relationship might actually create long-term customers. Introing, hooking, and frictioning. Oh, my... We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? Allow me to make some introductions. Frank, meet Sally Smith. Sally has been my go-to person on the inside at Acme Corp for many years. She's been with the company for 11 years and counting and is a pro at getting you the best package and the best pricing for your investment. I'm sure she'll take great care of you as you search for widgets. You can learn more about Sally here, LinkedIn profile link, and her business here, company website link. Sally, meet Frank Foster. Frank is a great friend and a fantastic entrepreneur. He's interested in switching widget providers, looking for a great experience at a great price. I told him that I had a friend who could help him out, and he's eager to connect. You can learn more about Frank here, LinkedIn profile link, and his business here, company website link. In terms of next steps, I'll leave it to you two to take it from here. For clarity's sake, Sally is getting ready to head out for a week of business travel with minimal time to be on email, so she's pretty busy. She'll return next Monday, so Frank, don't expect to hear back from her before that, but rest assured, she will be in touch. Please let me know if you need anything else from me. Otherwise, I hope you two enjoy connecting. All the best, Joey. All right, so why did I read you that introduction? The reason I shared this introduction is because this segment is all about the experience and creating a remarkable experience when properly making an introduction between two people. I got to admit, in the last two weeks, I have received five what I like to think of as single opt-in introductions. That's where an email appeared in my inbox from someone introducing another person to me. And I had no idea that this introduction was coming. I had no idea who the other person was. I had no idea what I was supposed to do with this new information in this new potential relationship, and the ball had been dropped in my court. I am a big proponent and a big believer in the double opt-in intro. With the double opt-in intro, you ask both parties independently, not in front of each other, if they feel that they would enjoy being connected. And if, and only if, they both say yes, then you make the introduction. And we can talk a little bit more about how to make that introduction. And that's one of the goals of this segment is to give you some clear steps of how to make a proper double opt-in introduction. But Dan, what do you think of the single opt-in introduction and the double opt-in introduction? Well, what I love about your example is that it was an email, but it could be in 
in any other channel as well. And I actually started thinking that recently there's been a lot of debate, at least among my type, of the fact that social media contains two words, the social part and the media part. And this really reminds me of the social part is that when we want to introduce people to each other, we have to remember they're both humans. They both have LinkedIn profiles. They both have different backgrounds. And what I really liked about your reading of what was you know, clearly a, a made for podcast example uh, was that you kind of treated them both equally and you shared both of their LinkedIn links and both of their company links and you put them on equal footing with each other. And knowing now that you had spoken with both of them and that they wanted to be introduced, I think that was a real smooth introduction and, and probably something that led to them eventually contacting each other should they actually have been real people. Right. So in the interest of full disclosure, Dan is correct. This is a hypothetical uh, introduction between two hypothetical people. But I will tell you the framework that I used for the email that I just explained. Uh, if you're a friend of mine that's ever been introduced to another friend or colleague of mine, you have received an email similar to this. And the, what I've done is over the years, and I have learned from many folks who are world-class connectors, people that are great at doing introductions and helping you to build your network and all of them universally do the double opt-in intro. And as a result, not only have I adopted that in my own life, but I've identified a six-step framework that I think will allow you to not only make proper uh, introductions, but to make introductions that really go somewhere as opposed to sitting in an email and leaving both parties feeling awkward about what they're supposed to do next. So first and foremost, in this six-step framework is to check with both parties first. Why? Let's check in on their interest level. Let's see if they feel like this would be a good connection or a good person to get to know. Let's also check in on the timing. Part of the reason I'm ranting a little bit on this right now is I've been in a period with a project that I'm working on where for the last two weeks, it's been insane. I mean, absolutely insane in terms of the amount of work I'm doing, the lack of sleep I'm getting. And I had five of these intros pop into my inbox. Now, these are intros that had somebody reached out to me beforehand, I would have said, well, to be frank, for three of them, I would have said, I don't think there's a need for an intro. I don't think it's a good fit. For the other two, I would have said, yeah, this sounds interesting. I'm happy to have the intro, but can you wait a week or two until this project's done because I'll be a lot more clear-headed and able to respond at that time. So number one, check with both parties first. Number two, do an email that connects them. The reason I like an email intro is it allows you to put all the information down in writing and to really explain who the person is and why you, the introducer, feels that the two people that are being connected need to connect. Number three, and this one's a little bit old school, for those of you that may have read Emily Post or Miss Manners, you want to introduce the junior person to the senior person. So the way you set this up is, you know, in this scenario where I start out, Frank, meet Sally Smith. Frank is actually the senior person. And so I am introducing Sally, who is the junior person, to Frank. 
Most people won't even notice this. Most people won't even pay attention. But those that do have an understanding of etiquette and the proper way to do these things will not only notice, but they will appreciate the additional deference. So those are the first three of the six-step framework for making a proper introduction. Dan, everything makes sense to you? What do you like? What do you dislike? Uh, I think it's great. And I have been the recipient of some of these double opt-out double opt-in intros. And also, I try to send them as well. And I think what is nice about it and what I was trying to get at maybe before when I mentioned social media was this interconnectedness is something that everybody craves these days. And, you know, no matter how you're introducing people or what channel you're using to introduce them, you know, networking is something that we all do and we all get benefit from. And yeah, sometimes the the double opt-in, you know, to the senior person is so that the senior person can help out the junior person, for example. And, and, you know, I've certainly been asked in a number of occasions, hey, would you talk to this person? She just got out of college or he just got out of college, et cetera. But then there's other times where you're sort of on the flip side of that. And it's like, hey, someone's going to do you a favor and introduce you to somebody that might be able to help you out. So I really like the kind of pay it forward aspect of it. And I think that if everybody follows Joey's uh, steps, and I know there are three more coming, uh, I think that what you'll see is that you will receive as well as give uh, more introductions. and, And that obviously helps with everybody's network. That's definitely the goal because I'm a big believer that it's not what you know, it's who you know. And we should always be thinking about how can we expand our network, but also how can we provide value to our network? And one of the best ways you can provide value to your current network is to introduce them to other people in your network that they might have some points of commonality or some opportunities to do business or even just similar interests and likes that they can build on. So continuing our top tips for the double opt-in Intro. Number four, take the time to tell each person about the other person, not only in the original communication when you reach out to see if it's okay to do an intro, but then reiterate that in the actual introduction email. And the reason being is there may be a gap between when you first tell them you want to make this introduction and when you actually do. And we want to continue to provide context. Number five, include a link to their LinkedIn profile or their website of their company or both. You want to make this as easy as possible for the person who's looking for different things they can connect on and looking to see what the motivations and the interests might actually be to read up a little bit more on this person from within the email that you send. And connecting to a LinkedIn profile or something like that is an effective way to make it easy for the people you're introducing to learn more about each other. Number six, leave them to continue the conversation, right? Set it up. You you know, you may want to explain uh, a little bit what's going on in their lives and, you know, give a context for when they might be following up, but leave it to them and kind of get out of it. The whole point is to make the proper introduction and move on. And then as long as we're at it, one pro tip, use a service like Contactually to pre-write intros and or save your intros. What you'll find is the more you start to make introducing people a part of your your own networking and your own relationship management, you will find yourself introducing friends 
to different people where you're introducing the same friend again and again. A service like Contactually is a software product that rides and allows you to enter in some notes so that when you do make that introduction, the notes are already pre-populated. So take advantage of the tools that will make your intros more effective, more efficient, and more experiential. So, Joy, I have a question, and then I want to add in a tip of my own. The question is, should you specify who the person is that is going to follow up, or should you quite literally, as you said, just leave them to continue the conversation and kind of see who speaks up next? I think it depends on the situation and the scenario. Uh, in the example that I read, I kind of hinted about Sally being the one to follow up because in that dynamic, it was a situation where Sally was the junior person and Sally was the salesperson. And so what I was basically trying to say is, look, I'm going to make the salesperson chase a little for this business introduction I'm making. I think that's something that you can check out with the people when you're doing your original ask of would they be interested in an introduction. And then depending on what they say, go ahead and set that. I personally like to do that to set a little bit of context about, well, it'll be useful if so-and-so follows up first, but I'll leave it to you to decide. If it's Two equal people of kind of equal footing, and it's more just you should know each other because you'd both get some value from the introduction. Then I'll leave it to them and say, Hey, yeah, I know you both well enough to know that you're going to be fighting to connect first. So uh, have at it and let me know how it goes. All right. Good answer. And then my additional tip is if you are lucky enough to be a recipient of one of these, the very first thing that you should do when you respond is you should put the person who sent the original email onto a BCC, a blind carbon copy, because what really stinks is when you're the person introducing someone and then your return gift is a series of 37 emails trying to schedule a meeting <laughs> that you are so not true. involved in, right? So I think it's really polite to write back and say, you know, hey, thank you, Joey, so much for the introduction. I'm going to move you to BCC. And now, Frank, it's really great to meet you, blah, 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 blah. And I, I love when people do that because uh, truth be told, you know, once you make the introduction, you do kind of want to step out and let the two people handle it themselves. Uh, but the old reply all is uh, is pretty popular and sometimes ends up uh, hurting the situation. I 100% agree with that, Dan. Make sure you move the person who was kind enough to do the intros, get them out of the thread. So three key takeaways. You need to always do double opt-in. Check with both people before before you make the introduction. Next, follow the six-step process that we outlined. Check with both parties first, connect them via email, introduce the junior person to the senior person, tell each person a little bit about the other person, include relevant links to their LinkedIn profile and or their website, and then leave it up to them to take the conversation wherever they like. And finally, make introductions. They're a great way to expand your network and deliver value to your network, which has a tendency to come back and provide more value to you. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to.
Today's CXPress article is an oldie but a goodie. Okay, this is one that's been around for a while, uh, but is from the personal blog of a good friend of mine, Nir Eyal. And Nir refers to his blog as the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. The article is entitled, This is Your Brain Onboarding, How to Turn Visitors into Users. Nier talks about the importance of building the on-ramp to using your product or service and how having an on-ramp like this is critical for every industry. Because when you do it correctly, the onboarding process can serve as the foundation for creating strong user habits. What's really cool is Nier then goes on to describe a consistent design pattern of trigger, action, reward, and investment. This four-step process and pattern, and think of it as a loop that kind of feeds back on itself, is a great way to get your customers to see working with you and dealing with you as something that is habitual and that they want to do again and again. His fantastic book, Hooked, gives a bigger discussion about this, but the article breaks down kind of the four elements. And so we're going to walk you through what those are and give you kind of an overview of what this methodology really is. So the first part of the pattern is trigger, and that is the actuator of the behavior. Habit-forming technologies tend to start by alerting users with external triggers. That could be an email or a website link or the app icon on your phone. And by continuously going through these hooks, these triggers, users begin to form associations with internal triggers. Those become attached to existing behaviors and emotions. So that internal trigger becomes part of the routine behavior, and then the habit is formed. And so once the trigger starts to be identified at either a conscious or a subconscious level, you then want to move the user to action. You want to get this customer to do something. And by reducing the effort involved to do that, it increases the likelihood of the behavior. So what we mean by that is by the easier you make it to do the action, the more likely it is that that's going to be adopted as an ongoing behavior and habit. Here, simplifying the experience is key. You know, we're all familiar with the acronym KISS, right? Keep it simple, stupid. And yet so many businesses, especially in the technology space, are adding layer upon layer onto their products and services. So it gets really confusing. I mean, I've landed on web pages where I swear, and I, I didn't count, but it felt like there were 38 calls to action on the same page. And it leaves a new user, especially feeling like they don't know what to do next. So after you trigger the behavior, you then get them to take an action. And if you can get them to take the action, you next want to present a reward because who doesn't want to be rewarded for taking actions? And the article talks about variable schedules of rewards uh, being a really powerful tool that companies can use to hook users. So the research shows that there are levels of dopamine that surge when the brain is expecting a reward. And when you introduce variability into that, it multiplies the effect. Think of something like the lottery or gambling, where the number, the, the potential reward is always moving. And this creates a frenzied state in the brain, which activates the parts associated with wanting and desire, things that we want for people to think about with our business. 
want and desire. Absolutely. And now that the brain is poised, now that you've gotten, you've triggered the activity, you've gotten them to take action, you've got the rewards lined up, they're feeling good, the brain is flooding with dopamine. Now you want to come, and this one's a little bit of a surprise, I thought, with investment. You want to ask the customer to do some work, to put in some effort, because all the research shows that exerting effort makes people value the outcome even more. In fact, a study from Harvard calls this the Ikea effect, right? When we have to go through the adventure, challenge, headache, nightmare, you choose your modifier, of putting together a piece of Ikea furniture, the reward of having it all done at the end makes us love that piece of Ikea furniture that, oh, by the way, we built even more than we would have loved a piece of furniture that we just purchased. Uh, the study notes that labor alone can be sufficient to induce greater liking for the fruits of one's labor. Next time I go shopping at Ikea, I'm going to send my uh, shelving unit to that guy at Harvard and have him build it. But, and, but what I think is what I love about Nier's article and about his kind of methodology here is that this this last part is a little counterintuitive, right? Because in the beginning, we're like, oh, okay, we want to trigger them, then we want them to take action, then we want to reward the behavior. And I think most people at that point would go back to, well, then we trigger it again and they run the race again and we reward them again. But what he's saying is that I love this fourth step of make them work for it a little bit. Uh, I was in a conversation not too long ago with uh, the co-founders of a company who were explaining, and it was really interesting, it was a dinner party. So we had the two co-founders of uh, this company called Belay, B-E-L-A-Y, that's a VA company, uh, fantastic folks, fan fantastic business. And at the table, at the dinner table, was someone who was a new client of theirs. And so we were having this very open discussion about customer experience. And the new client was saying, you know, I really didn't like how much I had to do in the beginning. Like, why did I have to spend time on these kickoff calls? And why did I have to do all this work? And the co-founders were, were very polite and very uh, acknowledging of kind of the customer's pain. But they said, you know, it's actually by design. We want you to have to work at it a little bit because if you work at it a little bit, you'll actually buy into our process and methodology. Now, the secret is not making the customer have to work too much where they become annoyed at the investment they're being asked to make and they turn and run away from doing business with you, but giving them a little bit of pre-work or a little bit of homework to do to kind of get things started, the science shows that that's actually very effective. Yeah, and that does make sense to me. I was a psychology undergrad major, and I love this stuff. I, I love how the brain works. And I, it's funny, when I graduated college, I was psychology and communications, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I ended up in marketing, which in hindsight is like the perfect combination <laughs> of psychology and communications. But I that's all that's all marketing is. Yeah, that pretty much is what it is. And so I think this stuff's really, really interesting. Um, it, it reminds me a, a lot of uh, you know Pavlov and all the stuff that we learned in psychology classes and at school. And 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 part of the reason why this stuff has survived the the you know time is that it works, and it's not surprising that it works in customer experience as well. And I think that you know the investment part is probably the part that I would potentially argue about a little bit because I do think it depends on the person. Uh, there are definitely people that enjoy that, the, the working to build the Ikea furniture, or I, I'm having nightmares about a, a basketball hoop that I had to build last summer that, you know, 
I don't have any idea who wrote those instructions, but it clearly was not somebody that was trying to communicate with me on how to build a basketball net. And, you know, so once I lose an entire day doing that, every time I see the darn thing, <laughs> that nightmare resurfaces. But I also get that the more you invest in it, the more you're, you're likely to get out of it. And also probably the stickier that you're going to be with the company. Another psychological precept is this idea of sunk cost, right? And so once you've sunk that time into the investment, you're probably more likely to stay because you've got inertia going with you anyway. Exactly. We may not agree, folks, with how the brain works, but it does work in very specific ways. We may not like it. We may not uh, personally enjoy experiencing what it's like to build the basketball hoop. But all the research shows that there actually is a, a higher affinity for the product if we've had to work for it a little bit or for the service if we've had to work for it a little bit. I think the secret is how much is a little bit. So the three key takeaways from this CX Press. Number one, check out Nir Eyal's book, Hooked, H-O-O-K-E-D. Great quick read uh, that really dives deeper into his philosophy and methodology. Number two, keep the four-step hook model in mind when you're designing your customer experiences. You're going to need a trigger. You're then going to need an action. Following the action, you want to give the customer a reward that includes a little bit of investment on their part that leads them back to the trigger. And last but not least, always be iterating. Your customers are evolving. You should be evolving too. And if you do it effectively, hopefully your customers will become hooked on you. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. Recently, my friend Robbie Richman, who's an expert in creating amazing cultures for organizations around the world and helping them to figure out how to get their people even more engaged, reached out to me about creating friction early in the customer experience in order to get customers to buy in. Did you say friction? I, mean, I did. I did friction. Yeah. And this is, this is a very, Robbie's a contrarian guy. And so he reached out and he was like, look, I know you talk a lot about making it easier, efficiency. I have this idea around friction and here's an example I want to share. And we talked about it and I realized that, uh, he's right. And this actually ties into our previous segment where we're talking about Nir Eyal's book and how you want the customer to put in a little bit of an investment to get them bought in. So here's what happened. Robbie was looking to hire a virtual assistant or a VA. And he signed up for a firm online. And to sign up online for this virtual assistant or VA firm, he entered his name, his phone number, and his email address. And then it went to go to next step. And when he went to the next step, it said, you're almost done. Now, activate your $25 free credit to send in your first task for the VA to do if you complete the task in the next five minutes and 15 seconds. Now, what I loved about this is it immediately forced the customer, the new customer, to have to do something. But it intrigued them, right? It said, hey, you're signed up, but if you want a $25 free credit, all you have to do is tell us a little bit about your first task and you'll be off to the races. So it gave them the chance, it gave my friend Robbie the chance to kind of test the service with this $25 free credit. Now, it then navigated him through a series of drop-down boxes where he had to select 
the type of task he wanted conducted by his VA, kind of dive down deeper into a number of subcategories so that it would really funnel it down to a very specific, discrete activity, and then describe the task in detail. And once he did that and submitted it, now he was in. There was a VA who was working on this task. It was covered by the $25 credit or, you know, this, this chance to uh, have his first task paid for, and they were off to the races. Yeah, I mean, I think this is pretty interesting. The the free credit to me, and certainly the time associated with it, uh, strikes me a little bit more as sort of an of an intended sense of urgency, and that you know, in order to kind of drive a faster response. But this idea of the friction here. Uh, in terms of filling out the form, I, to me, it's a little bit like, you know, sites asking for an email address in order to download a white paper or, you know, uh, sites requesting a credit card number, even though, you know, it's a free trial for the first 30 or 60 days. I, I think that there is a, the reasoning for it is that, is that you do create a little bit of this inertia that kind of gets you going already. And, and, and it's really hard to do that without creating any work, you know, for the person that is trying to sign up. I agree. But where I think this uh, virtual assistant company took it one step further is by driving you to submit your first task at sign up. Uh, I don't know about you, Dan. I've worked with uh, a number of virtual assistants over the years, and there have been some programs that I've signed on to, and then I haven't actually gotten up and running with the virtual assistant for weeks or even months. And what I love about this model is that you, you've already kind of become a customer, right? You've signed up, but they, for lack of a better way of putting it, force you using your own psychology to submit your first task because you don't want to miss out on that free credit. Robbie goes on to talk about different things you can do uh, in other areas of your business to create these little friction points. So for example, with new job applicants, you know, one way to test and see uh, how effective they're going to be as employees is to have them do something that's above and beyond submitting their resume. Uh, you know, maybe have them make a video about why they're a good candidate or uh, put some specific uh, information into you know, a form about themselves so that they have to present their background and their work in a different way than they're used to, right? These little friction points uh, that are designed to really see if they're bought in and if they're willing to figure it out without directions. You know, I like to think of all these things as baby steps or micro accomplishments. What are the little things you can get them to do so that they will do the big things that you want them to do? So I think we have three key takeaways here. Uh, number one, friction can be good. Uh, it can serve a higher goal. Number two, create these little micro commitments and mini victories that allow your new customers to feel even more bought into your product or service faster. And number three, don't be afraid to own your friction. Everything doesn't have to be a walk in the park. And if you give just enough friction, the research and the psychology and the brain science shows us that it will actually make this new customer love you even more. Listen in while we try to stump and surprise each other with a fantastic statistic from the worlds of customer experience and customer service. It's time to check out this number. This week's number is 55%. What do you think it refers to, Dan? 
I'm going to go with the historical average of the groundhog seeing his shadow. (laughs) Uh, 55% of the time, the groundhog sees the shadow. I like it. Well, actually, that may be true. But this 55% refers to the percentage of CX professionals who believe their company will face disruption from more nimble competitors. This is based on a survey conducted by our friends at Oracle and shared by our friend Samantha Hustler, a marketing strategist for Oracle CX. I am kind of surprised that this number is as low as 55% because nimble competitors are probably the biggest fear of large companies because large established companies are not nimble. It's just one of the things that they're not able to do because they're gigantic. They've got tons of departments that are all siloed. They have more lawyers than marketers. They have, you know, just so many people <laughs> running around. Do you and, like that little lawyer uh, insult there, folks? That oh, was yeah. nice. It was Sorry, subtle. But, but they're not nimble. And so this should be a fear, this disruption, especially in industries that have yet to be disrupted. There are plenty of those. We think about, we always list the ones like the Ubers and the Airbnbs that have completely disrupted industries, but there's plenty more that have not yet faced that disruption. And it's common, people. There is not an industry on the planet that isn't going to be dramatically disrupted in the next 10 years. And yeah, if you think you're safe, you probably aren't paying attention to other things too. You can learn more interesting statistics like this one from our friends at Oracle Smarter CX, who, by the way, have a fantastic new CX assessment tool. So this tool allows you in like two minutes or so to answer a few questions and see how your organization stacks up in the world of CX. You can find it at oracle.com slash CX performance. Thanks as always to our incredible friends at Oracle for sponsoring the show. You make experience this possible and we can't thank you enough. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions. And if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This.